views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Wow, everybody. It's so great to be connecting with all of you today. I'm Dr. Pat. You're listening to the Dr. Pat Show on Transformation Talk Radio, transformationradio.fm. And today, get ready for it, herbs and angels. Our first hour is a great, great conversation with someone who has dedicated her life uh, to remedies, remedies from, you know, the world and what the... And, and teaching all of us about the healing properties of plants, plants that are in your yards, plants that are in your forest, meadows. It doesn't matter. You know, it is the world that an herbalist lives in. And so today we're going to chat about secret medicines from your garden. Author and herbalist Ellen Everett Hopeman. Hopman, I call it, and I call her, and that and beyond. But most importantly... There are so many things we're now learning. We're learning about things that truly are in our backyards. And, you know, it's such a reminder for me of, and and Benny, I know you've heard me talk about my grandparents and my grandfather and the time I spent as a really, really young child with my grandfather who came from the, uh, what do we say, came from the old country and, and showed up. In, in the Bronx and thought, what am I going to do now? How am I going to grow the things that I was so used to growing? How can I create the same kind of herbs? How can I create the same things that we had uh, living from the plants, living from what is literally grown? And I will tell you that the memories that I have of my grandfather are sitting in uh, one of his, uh, sitting in a shack that he had in the Bronx. And he had this big piece of property where he would work with used tires, tires for cars, trucks, and everything else. But he had this shack. And I remember two things very distinctly. One was the smell of kerosene because he painted in the shack. And the other was the smell of fresh herbs in the beautiful, what we call them now, platform gardens, right? But just the beauty by which he brought the essence, the learnings and the teachings from his childhood forward and passed them on to us. So when you guys hear me talk about the fact that I don't remember seeing my grandmother uh, hanging out in a grocery store, I really mean that. 
you know, this is really a childhood where everything from olive oil became the remedy from some kind of tree or plant that my grandfather grew. Now, fast forward to where we are today. It is we're living in a world right now where this essence of being an herbalist has never been more important than it is today. You know, what's going on in the world to just save and preserve some of the most magical, mystical, amazing things we find in trees, that we find in hedges, that we find in woods. You know, I mean, even even if this were a show, we could spend an hour just talking about mushrooms, you know, things that grow. But what is it about Ellen that has gotten her on this path? Her book is fabulous, Secret Medicines from Your Garden, Plants for Healing, Spirituality, and Magic. And why is this message today more important than ever? And I'll tell you this from my perspective about it. It is we are finding remedies for uh, some of the most difficult diseases conventional medicine right now is facing. One of them is Lyme disease. Almost every remedy for Lyme that is literally saving lives is coming from, you know, a natural grown element of some kind. You're going to hear more about that. But Ellen today is joining us on the show. Ellen, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm way over on the other side of the country. I'm in Massachusetts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm actually glad you're in Massachusetts because, you know, so many of my friends, by the way, uh, Dr. Ronnie DeLuce, fabulous naturopath out in Massachusetts. And, you know, you're in a place that for years and years and years did not really, and even to this day, according to my friends, doesn't really honor the natural medicines of things. And I'm finding the most incredible people coming out of Massachusetts. But for you, this is a calling. This is not just, let me sit down and write a book, or let me just talk about this. This is something that, boy, you got tapped on the shoulder and you said, okay, I'm all in. Tell us about your journey. Well, um, in the book, I go into this in great detail. The first chapter, um, I talk about this, but basically what happened was I was a student at Temple University, which is in Philadelphia, Yep. and I was a straight-A student, and um, I was getting my master's in art history, and one day they tapped me on the shoulder and they said, we're offering you a scholarship to Rome. And I said, I don't want to go to Rome. I want to study early American photography. And they said, no, you're going to Rome. So I said, okay, I'm going to Rome. So they they sent me to Rome. I had a full scholarship. Everything was taken care of. And it wasn't anything that I ever asked for or even dreamed about, you know. So I get to Rome. And um, if you've ever been to Rome, you know, I went to the Herziana Library and I was going to all these you know, the Vatican Library and all these places researching art history. Um, and, you know, the libraries are huge and filled with books and dusty and dark, and I was dutifully doing my work. And um, then uh, I was, I somehow I got the idea to take a break and go to Assisi um, in Umbria, which is where St. Francis uh, lived. And I wanted, I went there because I wanted to see the frescoes of Giotto in the cathedral there. So I went 
to Assisi, took the train, went to the cathedral. I was looking at these incredible frescoes, and I hope they're still there because they've had a huge earthquake since yeah. then. But, um, the frescoes completely surround the walls of the of the cathedral, and um, they, there's a lot of gold leaf, you know, so they look pretty yes. elegant. And I knew enough about St. Francis to know that this was not really uh, a, an accurate depiction of him because he was a guy who either preached naked or went around barefoot, you know, with a with a uh, an old robe and a and a rope around his waist, you know. So the whole thing was kind of strange. So I walked up to this the first priest that I saw, who was a Franciscan. And I said, gee, I'd like to know more about St. Francis, um, you know, how he really lived. And so the priest said, uh, go to San Maceo. And I said, what's San Maceo? He said, don't ask any questions, just go there. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> okay. So I, he pointed me down the road. So I walked down the road, and um, I, if you've ever been to Assisi, there's a... Uh, there's a, a church called San Damiano, which uh, was for Claire, Sister Claire. Um, and then across the street from San Damiano is this incredible little chapel that St. Francis built with his own hands. And then there was this little wooden sign, and it said San Maceo, pointing off to the right, um, a hand-painted wooden sign. And there was this muddy trail that went through the bushes, and uh, I I just followed the sign. I, w- I walked, and then um, I, it opened up into this uh, clearing, and there were these built old buildings and a bunch of students lying around who were all German, <laughs> and I think um, maybe one Italian, but mostly German. <laughs> and um, they just looked at me, and they said, oh, have you come here to live? And I, <laughs> I said, I don't know. I, and so I, I, you know, hung around for four days, I think, and uh, it was a real Franciscan community. It was the Franciscan retreat. It's mm-hmm. now pretty built up, I understand. It wasn't when I was there. Basically, they had the women sleeping in one sheepfold and the men sleeping in another sheepfold. Uh, and then there was a, a community house where there was a big table for eating and there was a kitchen. Animals were allowed to move, run around wherever they wanted. So when you when you ate in the communal area, there were ducks and chickens who were walking all over the place, um, in the kitchen, (laughs) you know, everywhere. Um, There was no hot water. It was just cold water, straw mattresses. Um, It was as authentic as they could make it, you know, and um, everybody was expected to help with the garden and so on. And we went to Mass twice a day. And so I went back to Rome, packed up all my stuff. Um, and then came right back to the community and stayed there. And uh, the way the community was set up, every Wednesday they had what was, uh, you were supposed to wander in the desert is what they called it, and you were supposed to fast the whole day. The only thing you were allowed to have was water or herb tea. Wow. And then you were supposed to wander in the wilderness. You were supposed to just take off with no preconceptions, no idea of where you were going, no plans, and just walk. So one day I was just walking, and um, I went up, I just kept going uphill to the top of, I ended up on the top of Mount Subasio, which is a mountain where St. Francis used to go, 
and I was uh, just hanging out up there, and all of a sudden this huge storm came, mm-hmm. and there was thunder and lightning and snow, what they call thunder snow, yes. and uh, the only I was above the tree line, that's how high up I was, and the only other thing besides the grass was this one little pine tree, and I was pretty young. I was, uh, well, I was in my 20s, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, I wrapped myself around that tree, which was really stupid. <laughs> That's what I did. And uh, the storm blew over very quickly, and I came walking back down the mountain with snow packed on my shoulders, because I remember looking at my shoulder and seeing snow. And, um, you know, I b- brushed off the snow, and I, it, I was so filled with energy from that experience that I was just singing in Italian, you know, the yeah. whole way down the mountain. Yeah. And then I, I came down... Uh, to San Damiano, and I can't remember what the little church is called across the street from San Damiano, but it was the one that St. Francis built, and there was nobody there. I went inside. It was very dark in there because it's uh, pre-Gothic, so you don't have the stained glass windows and all that. It's pre-Gothic, so it's very dark. So I went inside. I sat down, and then I heard this voice, and the voice said, and the voice came from inside of me, but it also came from outside of me. It was a, a an actual reverberating clear voice that I heard, yeah. and it, it said, um, everything you've been doing up until now was for status and intellect and to please your parents. You're <laughs> supposed to be working with plants. <laughs> That's what the voice said. And I said, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I knew it was absolutely right. Um, and so I mentally began uh, sort of ditching everything, the master's degree, you know, the college education, all that. I was mentally throwing it out, and as I threw these things out, I felt lighter and lighter and lighter. And I went back to the community, and I said, um, okay, I'm supposed to be working with plants. And one of the Germans uh, said, oh, you should go to Findhorn. Everybody there is just like you. Findhorn is <laughs> This uh, community in Scotland is probably yes. the oldest uh, New Age community in the world. So I did eventually, I went back to the States, sold all my possessions to get enough money to go to Findhorn, where I studied uh, polarity, massage, and flower essence counseling, and I worked in the gardens there. And then um, came back to the States and started looking for an herb teacher, a serious person to apprentice with, and that's yeah. when I found William Lassassier, who is, you know, among people who know herbalists. He was a pretty prominent herbalist at that time. This was in the early 80s. Yeah. And I apprenticed with him and um, hit the ground running. I mean, as soon as um, I was done with uh, studying with him, it was a five-month program. Um, I immediately had, I had a practice in Philadelphia, um, you know, but you're always learning and, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. it never ends. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm still yeah, I mean, in today's world that we're in now, you know, we are, uh, I mean, you heard me talk about my grandparents, right? And my grandfather in particular. And, you know, we went through, I think, decades and decades and decades of forgetting about the power uh, and, you know, what what you're calling here secret medicines from your garden, because they've been a secret 
because we haven't been talking about them except for like what you're doing and, and a handful of people around the world. But today now, right, Ellen, we are now understanding the power I mean, imagine this, you know, you, you heard a voice and said, yes, I heard a voice and said, yes, 13 years ago. And here you and I are uh, about it. H- how has, in your opinion, how ha- have things changed since that experience, your calling? What have you seen uh, in the world that, that you could point to that says, look, this is where we were. This is where we are today. What have you discovered along the way in writing this book? Oh, things have changed massively. Yeah. Because at that time, there were no, there were very few books. You know, there were literally a handful of books. Um, you know, Ewell Gibbons was out there. Uh, who else? You know, um, there, there were literally just maybe five, five or six books. There was no internet. So you could right. Google something to look it right. up. Right, right. Yeah, if you wanted information, like when I was in Philadelphia, if I wanted the answer to something, I would go to the College of Pharmacy Library or uh, to the University of Pennsylvania Library. I mean, I would have to get on the trolley, go to the library, look it up. You know, it was a whole different world. Um, and... Well, in Europe, see, I, I was born in Europe and I grew up there. In Europe, they never stopped carrying herbs and homeopathic right. remedies in the pharmacies. That that never stopped. It was only in this country. That's right. There, there's a whole long story to that, but it was very deliberate. It was done um, in 1928 when the Flexner Report came out. And I, I don't know if you know that whole story, but um, the... The uh, Rockefeller family commissioned a study, and they wanted to because they wanted to donate money to medical schools. Yeah. So they they wanted to find out which schools were good and which ones weren't. So they they hired this guy Abraham Flexner to do a report, and Flexner looked at the homeopathic colleges, which were still going strong, and he looked at the regular allopathic colleges, and. The homeopathic colleges had no pathology lab because they, you know, you don't need to kill things exactly to, to study homeopathic remedies because you give the remedies to a healthy person to, <laughs> to see what symptoms are produced. Anyway, so but he didn't understand that, so he said, "Oh, they have no lab, no pathology labs." And he looked at the library and he said, "Oh my God, they're using books that were written in the 1800s." Well, guess what? We're still using those books. Yes. You know, yes. Kent and things like that. They're all written in the 1800s because the rules of homeopathy have not changed. They're still the same. But he didn't understand this. So he goes back to the Rockefellers and he says, oh, those homeopathic schools are horrible. You know, you need to invest in regular allopathic medicine. So that's where the Rockefellers put their money. And the AMA, of course, was allopathic medicine. And they had a huge competition going with the homeopaths. Anyway, the AMA is basically a lobby uh, for doctors. That's all it is. It's a labor yeah. union or a, a lobby for doctors. And they lobbied and lobbied and lobbied, and they got rid of uh, the homeopaths, who were their main competition. Um, and everything was poo-pooed. You know, anything natural, anything that came from plants, you know, unless they could uh, synthesize it and make it into a drug that they could make money off of, you know, they poo-pooed it. Um, so in this 
country, not in Europe or Russia yeah. or anywhere else, but in this country, all that stuff was was hidden away. And really, like the books that I write, I'm this is not new stuff. This is just me digging up the old stuff yes. that everybody used to know. This is yeah. how everybody was raised. Everybody knew how to go out in the backyard and you know find uh, certain herbs. You know, if you had, if you couldn't sleep, um, you got your got some fresh chamomile. And I saw this in Italy. People had chamomile and mint and lemon trees. So if someone uh, was nervous or couldn't sleep. They would just cut some fresh mint, some fresh chamomile, simmer it for a few minutes, squeeze in some fresh lemon, put a little honey, give it to the person, knock them right out. They slept, you know. Everybody knew how to do this. This was everybody's education. And now the way we're educated, we're taught through television and magazines and mass media that if we don't feel well, we're supposed to go to the drugstore and buy a drug. You know, that's what we're taught. Um, and, of course, yeah. a lot of people live in cities, so they don't necessarily have access to unpolluted. That's the tough part. You can grow things in the city, but you have to be very careful that it's not polluted, you know, not near a roadway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so, this is what yeah, we're so, talking about, though. We're talking about, you know, bringing a conversation back to the table. I mean, you know, one of the things I said at the top of the show was, that, you know, we're finding, uh, and I, of course, I refer to Lyme disease because it's, it really is, uh, it's good news, bad news, you know, Ellen. The good news is Lyme, chronic Lyme disease is not recognized as a disease by the AMA. And so, therefore, no insurance for it. So what happens as a result of that? You have to find other ways. The other ways to treat things are what Ellen, you know, you have put in the book. I want to ask you this. The book is called Secret Medicines. I love that title, Secret. You know, Secret Medicines. They're a secret because we're just not talking about them, right? But these are things that along the way you've discovered, others have discovered. My grandfather had something going on, right? Your family knew about this. Your fam- yeah. Everybody in your family knew about this for generations. It wasn't until the last 50 years that we really forgot. And now all, there, those of us who are herbalists today, all we're doing is just making sure that the tradition continues. I have another book called Secret Medicines from Your Kitchen, which yeah. actually came out before this one, which I also you know, urge people to look at because you have already uh, spices and uh, foods in your kitchen that you could be using. And again, this is what people always did. I mean, really simple stuff. Like, you don't have to go down to the drugstore to buy cough medicine. You can take honey and you can put, a, you know, peel a clove of garlic and, and get the juice of, of half a lemon and throw in some honey, put it in the blender. And you can either eat it with a spoon or you can strain it through cheesecloth if you want. You can feed it to a child who's coughing. You can feed it to an adult who's coughing. I mean, really basic things like that that everybody used to know. I love it. Yeah, and I want to ask you a little bit about this. This book is so comprehensive. 
there's so much in here. You know, everything from herbal astrology, looking at, you know, uh, uh, what, what are some of the, you know, for general formulas we could know? How about some of the things that we have growing in our backyards? You know, let's talk about sunflower. There's just, I don't think you have left anything out. Plus, you're giving us one of my favorites. Anytime we ever got sick in, in the household, grandma's garlic chicken parsley soup was well, you have everybody to, yeah, got chicken it. soup they've actually everybody done lab studies believe it or not yeah. um, chemists have done lab studies on chicken soup and it turns out that it's really true that when you take chicken soup it really increases your white blood cell count it, it improves your ability to fight off infection amazing I love it. So I have it. my <laughs> recipe. Every every good cook has their own recipe. I know. Yours is in the book. I saw it. Yeah, I put mine in the book. That's my recipe. <laughs> and mine, I, I always put asparagus in there. Oh, um, I love it. Yeah. That's the secret. Um, and asparagus is diuretic, uh, which means the soup is liquid. The asparagus is, is diuretic. It tastes fabulous, but it's also going to clean you out. It's going to flush you out. Um, so if you keep drinking the soup and then you keep taking fresh juices and water you're going to get over a cold very quickly absolutely and believe me it is something that uh i'm talking to you linda right now you know that chicken soup recipe we have we're going to take a short break and when we come back we're going to be talking with ellen about okay tell us about what you have discovered that we are absolutely sitting here are able to find in our backyards regardless of where we live how do we get back to the basics where do we start you know ella the number one question that we get all the time is there's so much to learn but you've really broken this down in a way that we could go through this and think about wait a minute is it a plant or does this plant have spirit what is the connection between herbs the body and spirituality we're going to take a short break when we come back i want to make sure all of you out there have lots of information about where to get the where to get the book we're going to tell you more about ellen that and opening up the phone lines for your questions you got something you're wondering about 1-800-930-2819 or if you're listening online just ask us a question at the dr pat show dot uh, com right at the top or transformation talk radio short break everybody we'll be right back co-hosts one of today's most popular psychic shows, Angels and Answers with Artie Hoffman as she communicates healing messages from the spirit world. These messages can be astounding, enlightening, and life-changing. Born with the God-given talent of inner guidance and the amazing ability to heal, Sky has healed thousands of people. Schedule a reading with Sky now. Call 908-500-1474 and visit skyofangels.com. What are vibes? We often use this word, but did you know vibes can actually be useful and help solve our everyday challenges? 
Embark on an exciting learning journey with Caitlin Keat, 11-time Visionary Award winner, specialist in vibrational energy, and the creator of Vibes Up. Join Caitlin as she takes you through the world of vibrational therapy and energy healing with natural solutions for a modern world. Visit VibesUp.com to learn more today. Put a little in your life with Keys. Keys Clear Protein Waters have 22 grams of smile-making, attitude-adjusting protein in every bottle. Did I mention it's tongue-tingling taste? Not just another guilty pleasure. With Keys, you'll enjoy every low-sugar sip and freedom from gluten, lactose, and GMOs. Who needs the fountain of youth when you can find Keys on Amazon or at Keys, K-E-E-S, please.com. Put a little in your attitude with Keys Protein Water. How would you like increased health and vitality? How would you like to avoid the onset of disease as well as slow the aging process? This is all possible through a simple, safe, and natural process. Every day we are either moving toward wellness or away from wellness. Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack. I'd like to be your partner in achieving optimal health. Contact me now at maryjanemack.com or call 425-392-0659. Visit maryjanemack.com. Hey Owen, I just heard about this book on the Dr. Pat Show and these reviews on Amazon are amazing. Oh yeah? What's the book? It's called Conscious Being by T.J. Woodward. Oh, he's the awakened living radio host. Yeah, this book looks like just the guide we've been looking for to really connect and make those conscious changes in our everyday relationships and experiences. I love it. Can we get it on our Kindle apps? Of course. To learn more about Conscious Being and author T.J. Woodward, visit ConsciousBeingBook.com. Do you want the freedom to spend more time with your loved ones? Travel the world? Live spontaneously? Get ready, because the Chip Justice Show is here. Hosts Dr. Pat Basile and Chip Justice can help you build meaningful success while embracing life. Living a life you love is the end game in this new, inspirational, and empowering show. Positive changes for a life you'll love. Tune in every month on TransformationTalkRadio.com and visit PositiveChangeInstitute.co for more information. Welcome back. Secret medicines from your garden, plants for healing, spirituality, and magic. Ellen, before we jump in and get into the details of some of the things you have in here, um, please let folks know how they can get a copy of the book and also how they can find out more about you and your work. Well, um, the book is in all the usual places. Um, You can get it directly from Inner Traditions. You can get it from Amazon. You can get it from BarnesandNoble.com. You know, all the usual stuff. You could go into an independent bookstore and order it. You could also um, go to my website, which is www.ellenevertee, V as in Victor, E-R-T, Hopman, H-O-P as in Paul, M-A-N.com, ellenevertthopman.com. And uh, I list my classes there, um, and I don't have anything lined up for the West Coast yet, but that could still happen. Um, but I, I list uh, my blog there, which you can read. Every month I put out a, an extensive blog with herbal news and uh, spiritual news and 
archaeology because I'm I'm very interested in Celtic history and archaeology and um, so that's my blog. Awesome. Uh, EllenEverettHopman.com. Yeah. Awesome. And if you order from me, um, it I think it costs one dollar more than what they're charging on Amazon, uh, but you get a signed copy and you get a personal note. From me. Yeah. I mean, this is really a go-to book. And you asked me a question about, you know, uh, what are the tree species that are dominant in Washington state? And, you know, here's what we have. They say there are seven common Washington trees, western hemlock, Douglas fir, western red cedar, Sitka spruce, ponderosa pine, red uh, alder, Pacific yew. And, you know, there are many more. For those of us that live here, there are many more. But we live in a place where, you know, we have about 25 native tree species. And, you know, they say that uh, the Pacific Northwest, you know, has pretty much, you know, the heaviest of a, a concentration of evergreen. So, you know, clearly we have an affinity here for our forests, for our trees. And, you know, you really cover some of this in the book as well. You know, so our backyard, Ellen, this is our backyard here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, the U uh, is very important. Um, you know, for a while, I, I'm sure your your listeners are all aware of the spotted owl yeah. situation and what happened there. Um, the reason they were cutting down these yew trees was because they thought that they had to take the whole tree uh, in order to make tamoxifen, was it tamoxifen? Yeah, it's a breast cancer medication. Yes. Um, But then they finally figured out that, hey, you don't have to cut down an old tree. You can actually grow you as bushes, and bushes are renewable. You can trim them, and they come right back, you know. So um, it made much more sense to just farm the bushes instead of cutting down old-growth trees. But uh, you is, is extremely important and spiritually a very interesting tree. I have another book out. It's called A Druid's Herbal of Sacred Tree Medicine. And uh, I, I devote an entire chapter to you. Um, every, every tree gets an entire chapter in that book. Oak, you know, you, Holly, yeah. wow. they all have a chapter. But um, you and uh, ash were the two most sacred trees, for example, for the Druids in Ireland. Oak was the most sacred tree for the Druids in Gaul, which is what we call France and parts of Germany today. Um, But uh, there was a story, and I I went to Ireland, and I was told this by a Druid that I met in Ireland. Uh, And this was in the oral tradition. I never saw it in a book anywhere, but I did put it in my book. He said that uh, there was a story that the Druids would take people who were dead and bathe them in a bath of you to bring them back to life. And so I've been around long enough to figure <laughs> out that when, when you hear a story like that, whether it's right. an old wives' tale or a folk story like that, there's some nugget of truth in there that you need to look at okay so the fact that you is a cancer remedy um it what i concluded from all this and of course there's no way of proving it but right. this is what i think was going on i i think people were being brought 
to the Druids, who were the healers, you know, they were the doctors, the herbalists, who were on the verge of death, and they probably had cancer. And uh, the Druids would bathe them in a bath of you to get them well. Because um, you don't have to inject uh, the medicine, you know, directly into the bloodstream the way we do today. If you put somebody in a hot bath, the skin is going to absorb it, you know. So I think that's what was going on. The yeah. other the other thing about the oak tree and the Druids, um, there, I could go on and on. There's a lot about oak. Yeah, there is. But, yeah. but there's a tradition that... Uh, there. In fact, the only Druid ceremony that we actually have a record of involved um, climbing an oak tree to gather mistletoe. Uh, okay, so what was going on there? Why did they own... Mistletoe grows on apple trees, it grows yeah. on poplars. So why did the Druids think it was such a big deal? Well, it turns out that the mistletoe growing on oak trees has the strongest anti-cancer properties. There's a a remedy in anthroposophical medicine that's called Iscador, which is made from mistletoe growing on oak because they found out that that's the strongest cure. And again, I think the Druids knew this. I think they knew how to cure people, and it's this camalbum, which is a European mistletoe. It's not the mistletoe that you find in America, um, but you can certainly order it. It's Viscum album is the Latin name. Uh, and I think the Druids knew exactly what they were doing. So. Well, yeah, I, I mean, there there are so many things in the book that, um, I, and let me just give you a couple of examples. Now, I don't really have any facts about this from my childhood, but I will tell you something that I always remember the smell of. Uh, and believe it or not, you know, it's it's uh, it's licorice, the smell of licorice. Now, how does licorice smell? Well, it, if you're in an Italian family, it shows up in liqueur. You know what I'm saying? It shows and up. Set, in, of course. Exactly. <laughs> and and now looking back at that and thinking about something like licorice and what we now know about it or what we've always known about it is by itself. Right. Uh, incredibly uh, resourceful for healing, isn't it? Licorice root. Well, yeah, licorice is very important. The only thing is, if somebody's diabetic, they shouldn't use licorice because right. licorice is actually sweeter than sugar. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so if you, um, you know, if you're using licorice and you're, if you are diabetic and using licorice, you have to uh, take care of your blood sugar multiple times a day. You know, but uh, the Chinese. Um, relied on licorice. They called it the peacemaker. And they put it in every formula because uh, what they discovered was that um, if you had a complicated formula, and actually in the book, it, towards the end of the book, I have a whole section on formula making, which is yes. actually pretty Chinese in approach. It's what I learned from my teacher. So there's up to 18 parts in a formula, you know. And so that's that's a lot of stuff. Uh, if a person is taking 18 different herbs, although it's much more elegant if you can make make the 18-part formula using four or five herbs. That's what I teach my students. But anyway, so you're taking all these herbs, and you don't know how your body's going to react. And so by putting a little bit of licorice in the formula, it prevents the body from having... Um, an allergic response, 
I mean, unless you happen to be allergic to licorice, I'm, there might be people out there who exactly, are right, allergic right. to it. But I, you know, but but it's called the peacemaker uh, for that reason because it harmonizes the formula. And, you know, what we're talking about today, for those of you listening, certainly, you know, if you're going to look at this, you know, please do this, you know, under the guise of, you know, your your naturopath or somebody that knows about you, your body, because this is really this is some powerful stuff here. Ellen. I mean, this is not where, you know, like, oh, let me throw a little bit of this in and let me throw a little bit of this in. Well, I have in this book, I have a lot of caution. Yeah, um, I'm sure you I saw that. that. Yeah, there's even a whole chapter in the back of cautions. And and any caution that I could find that was associated with any of the individual herbs, you know, don't take it if you're pregnant, you know, don't take it if you have high blood pressure, don't take it if you're diabetic. You know, I tried to include all that um, because if you're going to put something in your mouth, it's it's serious business. Or if you're going to tell someone else, to put something in their mouth, you know. I mean, I have students, and they spend uh, six months with me just learning the basics, and that's one of the most important things, I think, that I try to get across to them, you know, that if you're going to put together a formula, first of all, you have to know, is this person on medication? If they're on medication, then you have to Google uh, herbal contraindications or herb and drug interactions. So you have to figure out uh, if the herbs that you want them to take are going to react in any way with any medication that they're on. Now, this information changes all the time because research is constantly being done. So, I mean, I do have it in the book, but um, I don't have the medication information because I'm not a doctor. Right. I have um, basic cautions associated with the plants, but you, that's something that you really need to do. When I first started, you know, in the 80s, almost everybody that I spoke with was on nothing. They weren't on any medication. That's I right. I mean, that's another big change. You talk about huge. Changes. It's huge. Yeah, now everybody's on something, and I think it's very sad. I mean, it, it, it really bothers me to see this. That um, yeah, I think it's from the propaganda that people see on television day in and day out. You know, telling them, oh, if you have a sniffly nose, you need to take this drug, or if you have an allergy, you need to take this drug, or something. We didn't have that 30 years ago. Very few people were on on medication. You know, it was very serious if you were on a medication. Um, and we also didn't see all the allergic reactions that you see now. You know, people's yeah. bodies were somehow more resistant. And that's a big topic. <laughs> well, you know? yeah. I mean, I, and, you know, the book that you've put together really gives us a way to look at so many things and break it down and into uh, this will take care of this. This will take care of this. Right now, I want to talk with you about something. Right now, we are hearing so much in our pop culture here in this country about cleansing. And I want to talk about this for a minute, you know, about, okay, let's do a green cleanse. Let's do this. Let's do that. And, you know, people are 
they don't have your book in front of them. And so they're pretty much, you know, taking what's on a website or they're thinking about talking to a friend and they're doing this and they're doing that. But let's talk about this because you break this down into a number of different places and pieces to say, yeah, this is this could work for your liver. This could work for your brain uh, and so forth and so on. Tell us a little bit uh, of what do you think of this trend right now where people are really, really getting into cleansing? Well, there's nothing wrong with it, but you have to do it. You have to do it correctly. Um, And what what I mean by that is fasting is good. uh, Cleansing is good. But you what you do is you have to ease into it and you have to ease out of it. So, um, in other words, you would start by maybe a, a day or two of nothing but salad and fresh fruit, okay? And then another day of just juices. And then another day of just water or water and lemon or water mm-hmm. with maple syrup and lemon mm-hmm. and a little cayenne pepper, something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and then keep that up as long as you can until you can't stand it. <laughs> and then... <laughs> ease back again with um, fresh fruits, uh, fresh greens, you know, and then slowly soups, and then slowly back into your regular diet. Um, You you have to be very gentle with your body, you know. Yeah. I want to ask you, uh, we have, um, this hour goes by so quickly. I want to ask you about, you know, what are the secret medicines, as you're calling them in, in the book, what are a few of the secret medicines that people should really put, take, take their pen and paper out and write down? And what are they used for? What would be well, your again, top three? Uh, these, are, these are really not that secret. <laughs> I mean, yeah. these are the things that, that everybody used to know. Um, yeah. for, I mean, just start by going out in your own backyard, you know. Look and see what trees are in your backyard, what herbs are on on the ground. And look them up and see what you can do with them. You know, dandelions and clover and plantain and yarrow, uh, common quote-unquote weeds, you know, clover, things that are in your own environment. Um, Don't spray, please. (laughs) Do not spray bug stuff, you know. Um, and then, uh, if you do gather things from the backyard, when you bring them in, you soak them in cold water with just a little bit of sea salt or a little bit of vinegar. And I'm talking about maybe uh, two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar per quart of water or, um, a heaping tablespoon of sea salt per quart of water for 20 minutes. And that's to, uh, make any parasites drop off because, you know, you have birds that are out there pooping and mm-hmm. cats and dogs and raccoons and possums and you don't know what's been out there, you know. Mm-hmm. So you just do that as a caution. But start with whatever is right around you that hasn't been sprayed or poisoned and also make sure that you're at least 500 feet from a road. So, you know, you use the stuff that's growing in your backyard behind the house, not next to the street, you know. And then look at the trees. What trees do you have growing around you? Do you have a hemlock behind the house? Um, I was just taking a walk uh, yesterday in a hemlock forest here. 
And um, it's, you know, we've had an incredibly warm winter. It's been very yes, strange. I and know. there's no snow and the sun is out. But the hemlock trees have not started uh, their their growth yet. So I know that the earth still thinks it's winter. You know, even though it feels like spring, the earth still thinks, thinks that it's winter. But when your hemlock trees start to put out their fresh green growth on the tips, you know, the hemlock is a dark green color, but the, the tips of the hemlock, the new growth is lima bean green. It's very yeah, pale. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So you gather that, and you can freeze it for later, um, or you can use it immediately and make a beautiful tea out of that. You can um, you can make ice cubes. You freeze it into ice cubes, and then you save those in the freezer. It has more vitamin C than lemon. Wow. And it's antiseptic. All the conifers are antiseptic. So if somebody has a sore throat or a bad cold, uh, you can give them the, the tea made from that. Um, you can gather the tips fresh. You can put them in salads. Um, you know, you can put them in fruit salad. You can put them in green salad. You can nibble them right off the tree. Uh, they're just absolutely beautiful. Um, and I actually, you can do that with the new growth of redwood. I, I've actually done that with redwood. Yeah. Uh, um, wow. You can do it with spruce tips, blue spruce tips. Um, I'm not sure exactly what you have out there, but, um, you know, the new growth of conifers, not you. You is poisonous. Okay. okay. Uh, the only part of the you that you can actually eat is the red flesh of the berry. The berry is poisonous. The, the, the seed in the berry is extremely poisonous. If you swallowed it whole, it would probably just pass right through you. But if you chewed it, it's extremely poisonous. And yeah. all the, the green growth of the hemlock is poisonous. But the red flesh of the berry is edible. Well, and that's why we're talking about, you know, folks getting educated. I mean, you teach classes on this. So, yes. Uh, for yeah. a couple of years, I was invited to California, uh, Northern California, the Philo School of Herbal Energetics, Ph. I-L-O, which is near Mendocino. And the big tree out there, of course, is the redwood. And uh, so they had redwood, they had bay laurel, um, walnut. Uh, and so, you know, it, that's kind of a funny story because uh, Mary Pat Palmer is the herbalist there, and she invited me to California. She said, I want you to come out and teach. And I said, well, I'm in Massachusetts. I know the plants here. I don't know anything about California plants, you know. So what I did was I went to, there's this wonderful book by Daniel Mormon, M-O-E-R-M-A-N, uh, called Native American Medicinal Plants. I love that book. Anyway, I, I asked her, I said, um, what was your indigenous Native American tribe in the area where the school is? And she said, oh, it was the Pomo Indians. So I looked up the Pomo Indians, and I found out which plants they were using, and it was the redwood, it was the bay laurel, you know. Um, eucalyptus was, of course, brought in later. It's not indigenous, but I included eucalyptus. So I went out there, and I taught uh, the students how to make a beautiful herbal salve using um, the green outer hull of the walnut, uh, the redwood, the eucalyptus, bay laurel, uh, lavender, fresh rosemary, calendula 
Yeah. And that's I think a we favorite. threw in some we put in some white sage also. Yeah. So it, yeah. It, it, it's this incredible healing salve. It, it's just beautiful. But um, <clears throat> that's the way to start is really just to look around you and see what is growing. You know, because for example, in my area, goldenrod is incredibly common, and then I was very surprised to find out there is no goldenrod. You know, or it's very rare right. in California. I don't right. know if you have it. Well, yeah, cool. I'll tell you what we do have, and this is really what's exciting about this. You know, when I started to look at this and I started to look at clearly, you know, conifers, definitely we are we are all around us, right? Juniper, mm-hmm. pine, so forth. And then I looked at some of the things that uh, you, you're, you're talking about here. So a couple things I really was like, oh, my gosh, this makes perfect sense. We live in the place, the land of the salmon, Right. We live in that place. And so, yeah, when you're talking about pine butter, right, for cooking fish, and I think this is what you're talking about, or Mm -hmm. pine butter for oil, or even pine vinegar, I mean, I'm like, I'm just asking myself, why aren't we doing this more? We live in this place where I can, I'm telling you, 15 feet from where I'm sitting right now, I could walk out there and I could be back here with more pine than you can imagine of different kinds. Right. And and I I don't think we just I don't think we know, Ellen. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, just make sure it's not you. No, I no definitely. No. But what I'm trying to say is what your book does for many of us is it gives us some very interesting and fascinating ways to look at things that could help us. And you break this down to make it so easy for us to look at, maybe look at something like, uh, you know, licorice or nettles or, uh, you know, motherwort or something like that. But you give us an, a very, very beautiful examples of what some of these things can be used for. And at least it gets us pointed in the right direction. Thank you so much for today. I'm so glad you, you know, you're, you're able to join us. And uh, please give out your website again. And, um, and then Ellen your personal Ellen message. E-L-L-E-N-E, V as in Victor, E-R-T-H-O-P as in Paul, M-A-N, dot com. Awesome. And what's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today? Well, you said something. I can't remember exactly how you put it, but you were asking if, if plants had spirits. Yes. <laughs> of course. Um, they, we, have to, we have to have a new relationship with animals and a new relationship with plants. Yeah. We have to be in relationship with them um, because, you know, the, the, the society that we live in right now, they're, they're trying very hard to cut us off from the natural world at every turn. They're, you know, they want us to have fake medicine, fake food, fake clothing, <laughs> you know, everything. We have to go back and be in relationship um, with the plants. We have to have a lot of gratitude for them because we wouldn't be able to breathe without the trees, for example, um, and the animals that feed us and the animals that we love and the wild animals. We just have to be in relationship, and we, we have to try to figure out how to live with them in their world instead of constantly pushing them away and um, driving them away and driving them out we have to realize that it's their their planet too and we you know our bodies will become food 
for them one yeah. day. You yeah. know, we rely yeah. on them for food, and we will become food for them one day. So it's all part of part of a cycle. But we just have to be in relationship with all that's living. Yeah. Yeah, we really do. Well, Ellen, thank you so much for today. For those of you out there, the book is fabulous. Secret Medicines from Your Garden, Plants for Healing, Spirituality, and Magic. And I am definitely, definitely going to look at that pine butter. That sounds so, can you guys imagine? It's delicious pine butter on what do we, what do we have here? Oh, my gosh. Salmon, salmon, salmon. Hey, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. 